O'Reilly Auto Parts, man, they are in the business of keeping your car on the road. They offer friendly and helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. You know the jingle? Oh, yeah. We're going to do the jingle at the end of this. Nice. I can't right? wait for it. Yeah. So listen. Listen to the end. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find just the right battery for your car. Need your windshield wipers replaced? A brake light fixed or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, You'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, they're friendly. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto. Do it yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com. That's O'ReillyAuto.com. O'Reilly's Auto Parts. Ow! You better put that in there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. It smells like a fart in here. Does it? Don't it? Man. All right, well. Did somebody toot? What do you think? Did it get out? I am weird, dude. You are weird. <laughs> Mr. Dale and Hart Jr. <laughs> That family picnic sometimes <laughs> gives you more than just a potato salad. That's the voice of my co-host and one of my best friends in the whole wide world, Mike Davis. We're screwed. What does that mean? No, we're not standing in that box together in our underwear. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Mike? Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. And it's Tuesday, August the 22nd here in the Bojangle studio with my co-host, Mike Davis. How you doing, Mike? Doing well. How are you? Doing great. Want to thank Ally for, yeah, want to thank Ally for uh, sponsoring this uh, episode for us. Um, again, another week where we won't have a guest segment. It'll be another episode of Becoming Our Heart coming out tomorrow. That's right. Um, episode seven. And yeah. And we're coming to the close. I don't think we've got one or two left. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah we are. I'm getting getting a little uh, excited about that. Yeah, it's been a fun series. It has. And, and I really like this episode seven, so people have a lot to look forward to tomorrow. Um, also, I want to make sure that we also thank our uh, other good partners, Lionel. Ally and Lionel yes. both making this possible. Yeah, so thank you for, uh, you know, Ally and everything they do for us. Um, they've been uh, incredible for this sport and, and a big, big partner for the success of Dirty Mo Media this year and beyond. So uh, thank you, Ally. And, yes, I, yeah, um, it's, uh, you know, Lionel's been an incredible supporter of us over the over over this year for sure. Uh, we got more diecast now than we know what to do with on this table. That's true. But that's not a bad problem to have. Yeah, I think it's time to change them up, man. Hey, listen, we look at the producers. They, 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 can, uh, they can shake Lionel, up the lineup here anytime you know what I think the starting be, grid. Yeah, I think it would be cool is if Lionel chose which diecast we're on here. Yeah. I like 
I like them, but I think it'd be cool if they were like, hey, man, here's our summer lineup. Almost like how right? you, you, you do Glory Road at different people's opinions on what yeah. cars go where. That'd they should be let fun. Lionel just like have a – they could have this whole stretch right here to put their sort of latest and greatest. I'm down with that. You yeah. know what I mean? That'd be fun. All right. um, anyhow, that'd be fun. But let's get to it, man. Let's get to some dirty air. Did you have a good weekend? Well, I did. Um, I had a really good weekend. Good. One of the things that I thought was funny that happened this weekend was the tweet that y'all put out. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Well, no, it's funny. So we're, um, <laughs> let's first off say that we're um, excited about something we're getting ready to do in Las Vegas. Um, there is a, uh, there's a, we're going to basically take our show live, which we've done before, but this is more of a showcase of Dirty Mo Media mm-hmm. because we're going to have Door Bumper Clear there. I'm going to be there. It's on Friday, October 13th at Westgate Las Vegas Resorts and Casino, and it's live. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. How many people can actually come to this? About 1,400 oh, people. Oh, man. It's going to be a big audience. <laughs> Biggest one we've ever done in yeah. front of. Right, well, if you want, sure. I don't know if you're around or going to be in Vegas around October 13th or if you're coming to the race that weekend. Uh, you can purchase tickets and learn more at www.westgateexperience.com slash events slash dirty dash mo dash media dash live it's a lot it's a <laughs> yeah. mouthful yeah but um we'll be promoting it and have been promoting it on our dirty mo media social handles there's links there to be able to get to what you want if you want to come and see us but i say all of this because during this weekend y'all promoted it by putting out a tweet we did and the first line in the tweet was spend the night with you spend the night with dale jr <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the tweet said. <laughs> right. I'm shaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's nothing we can do to make that. I'm sorry. And I saw the responses yeah. as well. When you sent me the text, yeah, I, I went and looked at it, and I'm like, I got nothing on this one. I'm just going to have to apologize profusely because yeah. that, that, that could have been worded way better. <laughs> Spend the night. With, you, you had a funny line in the text. It was like, I mean, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe 20 years ago that could be part of the promotion <laughs> well i uh i had a lot of fun with that and so did other people they were like does amy know about this right uh, <laughs> yeah. so um anyways we we cleaned it up got a better tweet put out <laughs> yeah we did the day. we did but that was pretty funny but a lot of other things happened this past weekend well time out real quick <laughs> i was going to tell you i'm oh. also trying to get denny to come to that show with us really yeah speaking of denny um, I think that'd be awesome if he'd come because yeah. he is part of the Dirty Mo Media family. Um, I'd love for us to, you know, when we go do these live shows, and it's I love I love it to be more of a showcase of Dirty Mo Media, not right. just me, not just Dale Jr. Download. So um, that that's something to be cool. I've talked to him over the weekend. He has a lot going on uh, that weekend, no, yeah, so I'm sure I'm, I'm sure he's gonna, you know, it'll be. Helpful. Dude, I'm sure he does. I mean, he's got that contract thing going on, right? But anyways, we talked about that. Um, a lot of other people in the industry are talking about it as well. Denny finally, you know, I think Denny had spoken about this. I'm not going to say he finally cleared it up because I think he mentioned this before and I didn't catch it. But he says that the reason why this has taken so long isn't, uh, you know, a disagreement on payment or is it, you know, a lack of sincerity on his part or Joe Gibbs Racing's part. He thinks that that is all shored up and ready to go. Uh, the holdup for his contract is agreeing to all of the terms and how it affects 2311 racing and toyota's relationship you would think that that might be separate right like his job at joe gibbs and that contract 
would not have anything to do with Toyota 2311 in that relationship, but apparently it's all in the same bucket. So that's pretty fascinating. Um, it sounds very complex and complicated uh, and challenging. Um, and, and so, but uh, I think Denny will get what he wants. I think he'll get somewhere where he's happy. Uh, but he's not going to uh, sign anything that doesn't doesn't have all of the stipulations and and assists, if you will, to twenty three eleven, right? And the relationship yeah. that they'll have with Toyota. Um, Toyota is bringing on another team next year um, with uh, Jimmy's team. Jimmy's team, yeah. yeah. yeah so Legacy. Legacy's coming on to the to the Toyota camp, and that might not be all of the changes in manufacturers and uh so i'm sure like like we were talking about with ford uh and and you know brad kozlowski and his team sort of coming climbing up the ladder that at the same time will demand more of ford in so in 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 support right as that team becomes more competitive as front row motorsports starts becoming more competitive they then look at the manufacturer and say hey for us to get to the next level of competition, what it depends on you, you know, and how much you can help us. And so, there's a lot, a lot of pressure on the manufacturers to, um, you know, to support these teams. And as they improve in performance, they expect the manufacturers to take notice. So, pretty compelling. Well, uh, the part, the compelling part, Dale, is 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 there, um, is there a even a fraction of a possibility that if Denny can't get what he needs out of this for 2311. Does 2311 go to another manufacturer? No, no, it can't happen. What Denny is saying to us is everything is ready for him to sign in terms of him driving for Joe Gibbs and staying in the 11 car. But he, you know, some other responsibilities and some other, uh, you know, some other things that are tying Toyota and 2311 together need to be wrapped up as well for him to be comfortable signing i'm tracking with that That's and so right. you know yeah and so yeah he, I, you know he's just trying to get the, he's trying to get his team in the best position he can he's trying yeah. to make sure that toyota is going to commit to what he thinks he needs to continue um and you can't blame it's a business man it's tough and it takes a lot of support and so um but i think it gets done no problem i don't think anything changes i don't think denny goes anywhere i don't think uh 2311 changes i think everything moves forward um but i i, I do understand now why it's taking so long and that would definitely drag things down some of our listeners might not know this but our friends at lionel racing the official diecast of nascar have an entire line of cars and haulers that you can find on the toy aisle at a store near you lionel's nascar authentics cars and haulers can be found at all your local stores like walmart target myers and lionel releases new cars in this line all the time if you're already a 164 scale diecast collector or if you're thinking about starting a collection you want to check out the latest nascar authentics releases What's great about Lionel is that in addition to offering the diecast of the most popular Cup Series drivers in their NASCAR Authentics line, they make sure that smaller race teams and up-and-coming drivers are represented as well. The best way to find out when the new NASCAR Authentics cars are coming to your Walmart, Target, or Meyer store is to follow Lionel Racing on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
You'll find out everything you need to know there. And be sure to also visit lionelauthentics.com. Start that collection now or add to the one you already got. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Going into Watkins Glen, man, William Byron wins uh, his fifth win of the season. He was fast in practice. Once he got the lead, nobody could run him down. Um, Denny and those guys were just hanging around second and a half to three seconds back, and um, Byron was just lights out. Uh, we don't really know how Michael McDowell would have fared because he got in some trouble on pit road, drove through too many boxes and this and that and the other. But uh, he had some good, decent speed in his car. Yeah. I think if he had, is if he was able to keep the lead, I don't know if Byron could have gotten it from him. Um, very fast race, uh, hour and fifty-eight minutes, shortest Cup race in modern in the modern era since seventy-one, seventy-two. Yeah, it flew by. Yeah, yeah. ninety it, laps. There's a lot of laps though. Yeah. But we had no stage cautions. Right, those, which is nice. That, those are fifteen minutes apiece. That's right. Um, we had one yellow. For four laps, uh, just like the week before at Indy, one yellow for three laps. Right. Indy was a pretty decent race. This race, uh, not going to win any awards. No, but there was thankfully for this race, there was enough other stor- uh, compelling storylines to kind of keep you interested. I mean, listen, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm watching a soccer game and trying to follow along at the same time because my my uh, daughter was playing in, in Greensboro. So I'm watching you guys also, uh, you know, yell, yelling at her. And no, I'm kidding about that. But it flew by. It was so fast. But the, but the, the Chase Elliott situation blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... like Him running the, out of gas. Running out of gas. Like, how... I know how that happens, but how does that happen yeah. with all that's uh, on the line? I don't know. You know, I've, I've, the, they talk about going to the switch, right? So basically, just let's just imagine it's a little, it's not quite exactly like this, but imagine you got a 22 gallon tank in your car uh, and you got all this fuel, right? And so you're going to run, you, you know, you're going to run around town until it gets close to the E and then you're going to pull in a gas station and fill it up. Right. But imagine if you had a little switch where it gets close to the E and you know, you flip that switch and you can drive until it stumbles. Right. Or mm-hmm. you, you know, you, or, or, you know, it gets close to that E start stumbling. You flip the switch and the switch is going to give you 15 miles guaranteed. Right. You would probably always drive always. it, drive oh, yeah. it to the switch. Right, right. Got to see how far you can run that thing. Well, no, you would just be like, you know, I don't feel like going to the gas station. I don't feel like going to the gas station right now. It's close to E, but I'm going to let it sputter. When it sputters, I'll take it. 
<laughs> that's how we would do it, right? We'd all get there. Um, so this is kind of what the cup guys have. They, they, they don't have a gas gauge, but they got a switch. So they'll run, and it starts sputtering. Well, your tank's empty. You flip the switch. Now there's this little small compartment in the bottom of the fuel cell that's holding about a gallon of fuel. And that's now where you're drawing fuel from. When you flip the switch, you basically change the pickup line from the main pickup line that takes all the gas out of the tank to a no uh, individual pickup line in this very small reservoir that's going to give you enough gas to get back to the pits. That's all that's for. Right. And as long as I've remembered uh, using this switch, it was good for a lap. It was absolutely going to get you back to pit road, but nothing more. And as far as I know, it has not really changed. And so when they told him that he would have three laps on the switch, I I didn't I didn't want to say anything on TV because I thought well they would know better than I would. Right. They built it. it. You assume it. Sure. They built the thing. So if they think it'll go three laps, then they know it'll go three laps. But it didn't. And so, um, you know that. I don't know what the misinformation was. I don't know what I don't know whether the I don't know whether they had a problem with what they believed was possible when he said, "Hey, when you hit the switch, you got three laps." That that sta- that sounded odd to me because that's a lot of that's a lot of laps at at a long two and a half mile racetrack, and that's that's a lot of gas in a in a reservoir. That's a lot of gas in that tank that they're holding in that reservoir. That must be um, <laughs> separate fuel different <laughs> than anything that's ever been, you know, yeah, it's different. It, it, it was a lot of fuel for it to run three laps. And so it didn't, obviously. And so maybe the system is similar to what we've always ran. And what I'm familiar with is the kind of system they had. And I just, um, I'm, you know, listening to um, – you know, the team's comments after the race and Alan, the crew chief's comments, I, he's like, hey, man, we can't win the race doing what everybody else is doing. I think that's great. He's a hell of a crew chief. Yeah. He is – he's a badass. And so I, I like what they tried. They were thinking, you know, maybe come to pit road first, uh, get a lucky caution, something like that. They could flip it, get them up toward the front a little closer. I don't think they had the pace to, like, drive through the field. That being the <clears throat> distinction, right? If they Look, had it, then then you can do what everybody else because you're five, them. The top five didn't change order, right? Hardly much at all right. in the last thirty laps of the race. Nobody was driving through the field. Nobody, even if his car was the best car on the track, I don't think he's driving through the field. So they had to do something, and he tried something unique. And I I, I tip my cap to him because <clears throat> it was pretty aggressive. I appreciate that he said what he said. Also, I mean, did you hear what he said on the end car? Uh, I'm sorry, in the radio during the race? Yeah. Like when he ran out of gas, he was like, I was fed bad information or we got bad information, which yeah. to me just means there was a miscalculation with the engineers. I can appreciate that. In fact, that's the most relatable thing I've ever had to a NASCAR race, doing bad math, and therefore <laughs> it doesn't add out, and uh, you end up having to take yeah. the class over again. Oh, wait a second. I just had a college flashback. But the fact is, is that we have a, just bad math or something. Maybe that was a miscalculation. And man, what a time for that to happen, though. I know it. God, that sucked. The question at the end of the day, though, man, is do. All right. So two road course races in a row, one yellow, uh, a lot of green flag racing. Uh, at Indy, we had a really great ending. Uh, 
pretty compelling, good battles up front, some several battles throughout the field. It was a pretty decent race. Um, very feel-good story on the finish with McDowell winning, but then we go to, to the Glen. Uh, everybody likes the Glens. Great party scene. Love the Glen. Lots of campers. Sold-out yeah. grandstand. Uh, Ninth sellout in a row yeah. at that place. And uh, But a very you know similar race in terms of green flags, no cautions. And uh, the question at the end of the day for me is, are the fans going to start calling for the stage breaks cautions to come back? Oof. Right? And I don't know that I hate that idea. Mm. I never – I don't – look 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 back over – I mean, if, if I said it, find it. I don't believe I ever said these, you know, taking away the cautions at the, at the uh, road courses is going to make the racing better. Um, it's less yellows. It's yes, less restarts. It's less strategy. It's, it basically makes the strategy very straightforward. Mm-hmm. You're going to run the race backwards. You're going to pit. You're going to run to the, you're going to run to the stage if you can get your stage points and come right to pit road. And then you're going to do the same thing in stage two. And as soon as you get inside the window to finish the race, you're coming to pit road. You're not going to sit out there and get called with a yellow. Just like we've always ran road courses. So the the with the stage cautions, the strategies were really they were like there was like an extra set of there was like an extra strategy to try. That's so right, right. That's so 100. Right. So without the stage cautions, there's like one and a half strategies. With with stage cautions, you've got about three different routes to mm-hmm. take. Right. And so, and you know that the person that stays out to get that stage point is at a disadvantage to the person that threw it away and pitted before the end of the stage. Because when the caution comes out, that's going to leapfrog that person forward. All of those things were really compelling. And you had a lot of cars that were maybe not very fast at some points of the race toward the front on restarts that would jumble up and make things exciting. You had somebody that was a more dominant car now in 10th place on a restart that had led most of the last stage, going to fight their way through. Um, That's all gone. Uh, And so if NASCAR turned around today and said, we're going back to stage cautions at a road courses, I wouldn't throw my hands in there. I'd be fine with it. Maybe there's certain road courses that you apply that to and certain ones you don't. There's some road courses on the circuit that a caution lap takes half a day, it seems like. Well, the Coda is a long Coda. course, yeah. But, you know, there's there's ways around that. Um, and that, that – look, I don't go to Coda, so I don't care. <laughs> that's Ultimately, that's what this is yeah, about, right? I don't broadcast it. I don't go to it. I give a, give a crap how long the cautions are. He's uh, honest, folks. If nothing else, he's honest. I don't want to go to Coda. Uh, track limits and all that mess. Um, Can I make a counterpoint, though, that I'm going to tell you, you've rubbed off on me a little bit. Oh? Yes. So I've always been the kind of guy that just likes to be entertained, and so throw the throw the cautions out there. Let's see the different strategies. However, as we maybe it's a little of the Becoming Earnhardt series. Maybe it's a little of the nostalgia that you're rubbing off on all of us. But there's something I've actually found that I appreciated the last two weeks of it more being a, a pure traditional race where I'm okay with the fewer cautions and the ass whoopings because I'm actually appreciating what Michael McDowell did and I'm appreciating what William Byron and his team did because they went out there and they 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 laid the stick to them, right? And if maybe it's because it's a road course. I don't know. I would I would love to hear what other people say 
uh, and I'm sure they will on social. But like, if it was one, if it was the, you know, the Fontanas or the Michigans or the Poconos, maybe I have a different feeling. But in these two weeks, I have found myself appreciating an old school ass whooping. Yeah, and I don't know that it has that with the cautions and the stage breaks because it just jumble it, it re-racks them right. No, yeah, yeah. Or, or at least it gives you a different strategy where somebody who is, you know, doing something wonky yeah. comes in and, and takes it from William Byron or maybe McDowell. I don't I don't know, man. I'm just saying I'm learning something about myself. Yeah. I'm evolving. I hope everybody is. But this one I, I, I could I could appreciate it. Yeah. Well, this goes all right, so add this if we're throwing all of this conversation into a YouTube, you gotta add this part of the argument. The the Xfinity race on Saturday. Was that a better race? Yes. All right. Better race. You still had one car dominate, but you had a lot going on, mm-hmm. right? You still had a lot going on, some good racing. Good point. On Sunday, you the damn top five in the last 30 laps just sit there and ran two car lengths apart. You know, the leader was a second and a half out in front of Denny, and then it was Denny, and then, you know, nobody could pass. That's the problem. Go back to the car. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> I would prefer. Look, if stage cautions have to come back, let's put that in our pocket and let that be the last resort. All right. Let's. We know we can do that. That's an easy thing to do. But let's not do that right now, because it doesn't really fix what I think is the real problem, and that's that. At the Glen specifically, they need to try to find a little bit better tire. The tire doesn't fall off. They start off running, what, a seven? If they run in a 73 flat, they're running a 7370 at the end of the run. Mm. The tire doesn't fall off enough, which doesn't really, that's not going to fix everything. Look, we go to Richmond, we have three, three seconds to fall off. They all fall off the same. They still don't pass. So fall off will not really fix it all. But the tire is so good that they're qualifying every lap and the cars have a lot of grip. And there's not any real big mistakes. Like when they're running through the bus stop and coming through the carousel around me, it's a it's chaos. Every race. Sunday, not much at all going on. That's interesting. You would know. That was an interesting vantage point you had. The only problem I saw that. people having was getting all upset over the curbs. Well, they're jumping a damn curb. Okay. I you know yeah. the rest of it was pretty straightforward. Not nobody getting loose and wrecking into the tires or nothing Hmm. you know and hardly any real passing going on through there um so there's two there's there's some there's something about the package the grip the downforce all those things and maybe whatever they're trying to learn on this short track uh, package what they're trying to you know develop in in the short track package is something that they could take to the Glen. Um, because good lord, even if we did have stage cautions in about two laps, we're back to where we were Sunday. We're gonna have cars in single file, a couple car lengths apart, not a whole lot of passing. Um, okay, I'd be you know, I, I would be a little concerned. If I'm NASCAR watching that race, I would want to have more going on. I definitely want to have some more excitement inside the top five at the end of that race. All those guys were just so even, and nobody could get uh, nobody could get close enough to really take advantage of each other. 
and um, that tells me the cars have a lot of grip. They're 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 relatively comfortable. They're not easy to drive. They told me that. I mean, uh, AJ Allmendinger got out and said these are hard to drive around here, but we're we, we're qualifying every lap. We got a lot of grip. The tire doesn't fall off, and you're just hauling ass. And mm. you know, there's not much, there's no change. You didn't really see somebody, you know, really fade on the long run. Um, and when they did fade, everybody behind them would just stack up. Mm. They still couldn't pass a car that was really struggling. It was hard to get around a car that was just slap slow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that place is unique compared to other road courses because it's faster. Aero plays a big role. And that might have been a bit, you know, so that's another direction, another place to look. At Watkins Glen, this looked, this looked probably, you know, the – at Watkins Glen, it looked the way it looked because it's faster and it's more aerodynamic dependent and getting in dirty air is a bigger problem there than other road courses, possibly. Um, anyways, let's move on to Xfinity Race, man. We had a hell of a finish. Uh, Sam Mayer wins, second career win. Uh, he won earlier this year at Road America just a few weeks ago. He uh, booted Ty Gibbs out of the way uh, in an overtime restart down in turn one. Uh, Ty Gibbs said, I don't know much. I don't know how much of a conversation you can really have with Sam. He has more starts than I do, and it's only his second win, and I really wish I could have gotten my 13th. So he was <laughs> That was a dig. Yeah, it was a dig, of course. Um, I uh, have been looking forward to sitting down here and talking about this. Good. Yeah. Because I've been eager to hear your opinion on it. I may, very blatantly did not ask you about this on text because I wanted to hear it yeah. uh, with everybody else. So, first and foremost, fair or foul? what what he did on the last restart what uh, sam mayer did to ty gibbs ty gibbs who had dominated yeah so i'll answer it like this um i will always tell my drivers that i would prefer them not to wreck other cars and get upset get angry don't wreck people on purpose um and don't get into situations on the racetrack that are embarrassing to the team or you know put everybody and our partners in a bad light right um i tell them that and um but at the same time you know they're out there driving their race cars they're out there making decisions and they're the ones that have to live with those consequences and when we win a race pretty much regardless of how we won I'm going to go to Victory Lane and stand next to that driver and take my picture. Um, wins are hard to come by. Um, and these drivers are young. Uh, they're not, you know, they're flawed and they're developing. And this is part of Sam's process. Uh, but also, there's a big, big, long history between these two guys. They just flat don't like each other. Right. They don't. They don't. And I don't know that you can ever have a race like that where one of them's not going to run into the other. Right. And, you know, what Ty Gibbs did on the restart before that up through the S's wasn't very egregious, but it still was um, – if, if I'm Sam, I'm still feeling disrespected. Oh, he was fired up. Yeah. Oh, he was fired up. Um, it wasn't egregious. Look, man, the guy just took his line. But if I'm in the if, – if that's – 
tie in that car. He's going he's gonna to love that. You know, he's not going to love it. And um, I thought the conversation over the radio was interesting when Sam's mad. Sam's embarrassed that that happened to him. So in, in Sam's tone, he comes on the radio and he goes, uh, dude, just try, just dude, dude just ran me into the wall up through the S's in front of the field, tried to wreck me. And he's embarrassed that it happened. He's mad that it happened. And he wants to, he wants to send the 54 off the track. Like all in that moment, he's got all those emotions going on. He wants to wreck the 54. He's madder than hell. He's had enough. And the spotter comes over the radio and says, you know, we'd have, we'd have done the same thing. Kevin Hamlin. Yep. Kevin Hamlin comes over the radio and tries to walk him back. He does. He and does. he's like, man, hey, we'd have done the same thing. It's fine. Regroup, go back after it, and get it. And Sam, I think, heard. Interpret it, yes. Hey, man, do whatever you got to do, man. Take him out. <laughs> he totally did because he goes, 10 effing 4. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, wait a second, did he hear him right? Right. I'm like, no, no, man. He meant, you know, go get, you know, go, go try to win, win the race. Yeah, win the race, but, but don't clean him out. <laughs> he didn't. Be, he didn't say go clean him out. <laughs> and so Sam, you know, I think this is what was going on. Headed down into the breaking zone, a turn one. I think that Sam had every intention of running in the back of the 54. Every intention, no question. But he did wheel hop. You see the car get loose and slide, and that did send him into the 54 a lot faster than I think he really wanted to go, <laughs> right? And it l- knocks the 54 out, right? He spins him right out. Now, I think if you're going to hit somebody like that, you definitely don't want them to be able to get back to you. So there's a small window of, I, do I, I don't know if I really want to spin the guy out, but I definitely don't want him to be able to get back to me. I got to knock him out there pretty good. Um. So, but he, he did slide the rear tires into the corner, so he didn't lie about that. You know, the wheel hop thing that he talked about, he either locked the rear, you know, the, the car turned sideways under braking, so something was going on there. Um, maybe he was just wrecking, you know. I don't know if he wheel hopped or he's just actually spinning out mm. into the corner. But he went in, there, went in there over his head. I think he had every intention of hitting him, and I was fine with that. I really was. Um and I know that it's hypocritical because there's I I don't know how to I don't know how to articulate this any better than man there are some days when uh, moving somebody out of the way is good and some days when it's bad and it might be it might be dependent on what side you're on obviously I, our car won the race so hey I'm on the good side of this one um but it depends on the track as well like but you know, watkins be, glenn on a final restart like that it's gonna people well, are gonna make contact but I, so i i i will say this man i don't i i there's been times when i've been pretty embarrassed by some of the things we've done on the racetrack saturday was not one of those things i didn't, i didn't feel any embarrassment i didn't feel i mean i know that they've had a lot of history and i know sam feels like he's been on the bad end of it a lot of times with with Ty, um, and this probably won't be the last, <laughs> you know, last incident between them. I don't, you know, I don't know when they'll meet on the racetrack again, but if they ever get in proximity of each other, there'll be more fireworks. And yeah. there ain't nothing nobody can get in. No, there ain't nothing nobody can do to get in between it. Does Ty owe Sam a payback? Sure. Yeah, mm. Ty owes him. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, dude, he got turned around. He got spun out. He was he, Ty was dominating the race. So yes, you got one. We got one coming. Sam's got one coming. And we'll just have to remember it because we'll be yeah. mad about it. But then we're like, wait a second, wait, that was payback. Yeah, but it's like a prize fight. You know, you you punch, you counter, you get punched. You get a good you get a good combination in. The guy wants to come back in the next round and bring it back to you. And I think this is kind of what that is. You want to know who frustrated me in that race the most? Cole Custer. Why? He was running over everybody in everything, running off the car. I mean, in the bus stop where you were. Yeah. He, he, I mean, uh, didn't he? Yeah, he caused the wreck that took out oh, Algar. Yeah, yeah, took out Algar there towards the end. Algar yeah. was right there. So, like, Cole Custer seemed like he was in over his skis. He's kind of made some odd decisions this year. Kind of like a, I, I don't give a damn. Mm. in some moments well that certainly came across right that's how yeah. we're to interpret it impression that's, that's definitely an impression i get he's kind of he seems like he's kind of in this like you know what is what it is sorry yeah well i don't know where he finished but yeah. man it just seemed like he was all that, over the place. that sucked watching that seven get turned around right right in right front, of, in front you. of me yes holy smokes yeah that did suck i bet yeah that was disappointing and well, then josh spinning out that was that was a bummer Thought he's gonna have a good finish. Sitting there in third, he kind of spun out coming around the carousel on the final lap. I think. Right. That costs a lot of spots. Here's the thing about Sam, it feels like he has turned this immaculate corner where he was this immature kid and all the stuff. Like you're just hoping for top tens, and now he just goes and clicks off two wins. Yeah. Where he at least say what you will about how he won this race, he's there at the end. That yeah. right there was a big accomplishment. He was always taking himself out of situations, and that seems to have changed. Now, the question is, man, do you start having to really kind of uh, figure out mm. what he can do in this playoff? Like, I mean, obviously, I know you I – I, I'm not asking you to go make predictions on your own no, team. I'm not going to, but right. I, I think, look, Sam, Sam ain't changed. Uh, Sam is not – uh miles different really no it's just been a couple of weeks since he went from the guy that hadn't won a race till the guy that's won two races um i just think pump the brakes a little bit okay let's not get let's not go don't crown him crown him yeah <laughs> where we wanted a couple road courses where he's very good he's good at road courses um we're going back to day you know we're going back to daytona uh, we got, you know, Darlington and, and Kansas and a bunch of ovals uh, where we'll see, like, we'll we'll get to see him um, in those moments where he makes either the best decision or the worst decision, right? Yeah. Right, we get to go back to those racetracks where he gets put in those positions again, and we'll see. All right, man, you, are you making this, you making the better decision here? Are you, are you making the veteran decision there? Are you calmer? Are you more calculated? Instead of just race, 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 you know, um, we'll see. I th I got to see a little more of a sample size. I think he certainly feels like he's got a lot of weight lifted off his shoulders. He said that um, a win's going to make you feel like you know, man, finally. But uh, the pressure's still there. I mean, the pressure with pressure comes the potential to make mistakes. And Sam is still the same Sam that we had two months ago, four months ago. I mean, he's growing, he's maturing, but it's at a it's at a it's at a good moderate standard pace. Um, I'm not going to 
sit here and say that he's not going to make more mistakes. He's going to have a couple. He's still going to have a lot to learn. He's still super young. Yeah. You know, and still flawed, just like anyone that would be in his position. And he's going to, you know, he may surprise us some more. He may still make some mistakes that Sam, you know, has made in the past. It's all about, you know, it's a process. It's uh All right, we won't put him in the Hall of Fame yet, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, the, you talk he's, about pressure, though. The, the thing I'm really hoping is that when we go back to Daytona next yep. week, you know, the, you talk about being embarrassed. Embarrassing, uh, fair to was, say yeah, it was embarrassed, was embarrassing. the last time we were at Daytona. Very. So the pressure, let's not put it all on Sam. Let's just put it on all our junior motorsports drivers. Try not to wreck each other this time. That'd be nice. Yeah, we've got, there's like a YouTube video out there of all of the junior motorsports cars wrecking each other. Uh, there's like an account of all of the moments where we've either wrecked each other or been in wrecks together. And it's more than, it's way more than it should be. Uh, but I've always said when you put four fast cars on the racetrack, they're going to, you know, when you put four cars on the racetrack, they're going to tend to run around each other and tend to run into each other. It's just happened with more frequency this year. And yes, Daytona in February ended in the worst possible way for us. It, you know, it just snowballed yeah. out of control. Um, hopefully we do a better job, uh, coming up this weekend. It's so confusing, though, man. The Xfinity Series has a couple more weeks before the playoffs starts. The Cup Series only, you know, this this is the final race. This, the Daytona is the final race before the playoffs. Um, does that confuse anybody else? Yeah, yeah. They, add me to that list. They're different. Yeah. God. I wish they weren't. I know. And the trucks is already in the playoffs. Yeah, the yet. truck playoffs has already started. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Come yeah. on. Come on now. That's a bunch to keep up with. <laughs> Um, if I people always ask you, man, what would you do if you were president? I'd change that. <laughs> <laughs> Playoffs start now for everybody. Bam. Right. right. <laughs> All right, Mike. So we got a little surprise for today's show. Something that's come up. It's actually become uh, public information. Okay. Uh, I think the racetrack and a couple people have shared that we were invited to a test at Martinsville Speedway. Um, NASCAR owns the property. Uh, IMSA and inside the IMSA umbrella is the Miata MX-5 series and it's pretty compelling racing. Um, some of our uh, some of our Chevrolet development drivers compete in this series. It's a great way for them to get road course experience in a in a in a underpowered car that has really really competitive racing. And so there's been this idea within NASCAR to take this car to Martinsville. They're going there to test, and they're testing all day Monday, and they're testing today. And if this goes well, we could see this car race at Martinsville and possibly other short tracks. Mm. How fascinating. And so we got invited. We got to go. We're going. We're going right now. We're going right now. Then let's. Get, it's like a road trip. That's right. So we're going to get in the car. We're going to drive. We'll, we'll, we'll shoot a little, we'll BS a little bit. Okay. Shoot a little bull on the way there. We're going to get there. We're going to test one of the cars. Um, and I also have a little, a little cool news about that. Um, one of my friends is there, Chad McCombie. Okay. Chad McCombie. Everybody knows yeah, Chad. Everybody knows Chad. Chad's there with a couple of MX-5 cars of his own. And I've asked him if I could drive his. He said, sure. So I feel super good about that. He's an incredible race car driver and he's going to have been there all day Monday getting this thing sorted out. I'm going to have called him. Uh, and talk to him before we get there. But 
maybe we'll call him on the way. Okay, and so listen, we can bring the the listeners along, right? Yeah. We're going to go to Martinsville, uh, hop in a car, go go watch you turn some laps. That's fun, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see what we can do here. Yeah, this will be a lot of fun. So we're going to go get in the car. Show's going to keep going. All right, let's do it. Gran Turismo, based on a true story, is a movie about a team of unlikely underdogs, a struggling working class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsports executive. Together, they risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. Directed by Neil Blomkamp, the movie features an incredible cast led by David Harbour alongside Orlando Bloom, Jaiman Hansu, Jerry Hollowell Horner, Archie Medecki as Jan Martinborough. Some of the most famous racing competitions in the world are recreated through the use of actual Nissan GTs, drones, and practical effects. The racing sequences are so realistic that the real-life Jan Martinborough himself actually served as a stunt driver for the film. This is a movie that needs to be seen on the big screen. It's an inspiring, thrilling, and action-packed movie. Gran Turismo, based on a true story, is exclusively in movie theaters this Thursday. Get your tickets today, rated PG-13. Off we go. You need him. You need a map. I don't know, man. Something about driving to Martinsville with you is always a little nerve-wracking. Well, let's try to make this one less nerve-wracking. We'll try. Let's do a podcast while we do it. That ought to make it help. This podcast while we're driving, that ought to. So what are we going to do? What is this? All right, so I was, you know, on social media over the past couple of uh, days before the race this weekend, there was a lot of chatter about the MX-5 cars having a test at Martinsville. Everybody's excited about it. Um, there's this little pocket of the of the world um, in, in the sim racing world, specifically in iRacing, that has actually um, ran the MX-5 at Martinsville. And so there's this little group that I know that I, I communicate with on a regular basis that is, is like all over the top of this idea of the MX-5 running at Martinsville. And they're already convinced like, hey, it works online, it's fun online, this will be great. And then there's this other group that's really excited about the series as a whole because the races at Daytona, Road, Ameri- Road America, they're all great. The MX-5 uh, races are exciting. This is a, a part of the IMSA series that's owned by NASCAR, so it's a property of NASCAR. So I'm already aware of the chatter online about it. I was walking through the bus lot at, Mar- at Watkins Glen this weekend on a Saturday after the Xfinity race got down from my perch and I'm walking back to the bus getting ready to give me some dinner and I see Mike Helton and we started talking about everything we talked cars tour we talked everything just about what's going on in each other's lives and he said hey man um Clay's here Clay Campbell that runs Martinsville president of Martinsville yeah, yeah. runs Martinsville Speedway and they're standing there I'm shaking Clay's hand and I'm like so in my mind I've been trying to get in NASCAR's ear and in and in Clay's ear a little bit about how we can get the Cars Tour to Martinsville. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily at late mile stocks, because 
I think our our big event at North Wilkesboro every year for the late mile stocks is what we want. We don't we we're okay not diluting or fooling around with what Martinsville already does with their late mile stock cars. Which is significant. It is. They have that 300. It's a historic event. But the pros, our pros, we need them to have their their marquee event. And I think the pros could be some sort of a companion to something at Martinsville. So I'm standing there talking to Clay and, and Helton, and that's in the back of my mind that I'm going to I want to make. I want to mention that to them before I walk away. And uh, Helton goes, "Hey man, what are you doing this week?" I was like, "Oh, this and that and other." And Tuesday he says, "I'd like it if you'd go to Martinsville." And I usually do just about everything Helton says, right? So Helton's kind of the Helton's the guy, and I trust what he tells me to do and what he thinks I should be doing or interested in. And, when he needs me to, when he wants me to do something or asks me to be interested in something, I'm usually gonna gonna follow through. But he's like, hey man, can you go to Martinsville on Tuesday? I think you'd need to go up there and drive one of these cars. We're gonna try to see if this series will, um, this MX-5 series will will work at short tracks. We think there's some, some possibilities there, even beyond Martinsville. And so, I said, well, I got a podcast on Tuesdays, but maybe there's a way to blend the two together. And so, anyways, we had a great conversation. I called you, got on text message with our team. We moved a lot of things around. We did some podcasting uh, on Monday um, to be able to get on the road and go up here and drive these cars. And um, we'll be able to package all this up and put it out today. And so I've got to, we've got to run up here. We're going to be here an hour and a half, maybe max two hours, depending on time. I mean, we got to come back home because there's other things i got to do at the end of the day. That's right. That are unrelated to all of this. So we're doing this really fast. We're going up here. And um, listening already from how the test went Monday, it sounds like everything's going well. So I, I got a ton of questions, so I, I don't know if they're in any particular order. Uh, do you want me to just fire yeah, away? Shoot. Okay, yeah. now, first and foremost, what, what kind of, what do you think, being that the objective is for Mike Helton saying that we're trying to figure out if these cars can run at Martinsville, what, what kind of feedback are they looking for out of you? I don't think they're looking for any feedback out of me really. The smells like a fart in here. Does it? Don't it? Man. All right, well. Did somebody toot? Fess up. I smell it. Damn. I do too. I smell it now. All right. This is a podcast stopper now. Just whoever did that, just go ahead and fess up. Gracie? <laughs> She's mortified. That is awful. Maybe it's... Yeah. Maybe it's something back that way. I don't know. Hopefully it's something that we drove through, right? Is it getting less potent? It's getting, it's getting more potent. Is it less pungent? That's a hell of a word, ain't it? Pungent. Well done. <laughs> we did just find it. <laughs> I think it's going away. It's gone. 
It's better. It's better. All right, go All ahead. All right, so where were we? <laughs> they don't need to. They don't need any feedback from me. So the, they have people that are. They have people that are regulars in the series testing. Those regulars in the series are going to give them the real information that they need. They've already had a couple cars out there sort of mock racing and competing, you know, seeing how they can race side by side and all those things. And uh, one of those people that's there is Chad McCummy, if you remember Chad McCummy's name. Oh, yeah. Chad played uh, me, actually, in the three movie, that ESPN NASCAR movie. And Chad races in the car store, Lamal Stockside, and uh, he also races in IMSA and in the pilot series, and I guess he has uh, MX-5 as well, or a couple of those cars. Bobby Labonte's going to be up here as well. Oh, and, that's cool. Yeah, and so, you know, I don't know if Bobby has good feedback, they'll use it. If I have anything that I learn, I'll, I mean, they'll use it, but otherwise, I think they really need, need to lean and will lean on the guys that are driving these cars all the time. And so it sounds like it's going well, and uh, I hope to get a dozen laps or so. And do you know whose car you're going to drive? No clue. Okay. But, I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd probably prefer driving Chaz just because of the connection that, yeah. that we have. But um, and we're about the same size, I guess. He's a little skinnier than me. No, y'all, y'all uh, similar enough to where he can play you in a movie. But um, okay, so the other thing I want to mention is we should give a shout out to Chevrolet, being that they're allowing you to do this. Um, that's true. So that's a good point, Mike. We can't just run up on down the road and go drive um, different manufacturers whenever we want. Um, and so yeah, we we have to call Chevrolet. We have to ask Chevrolet if they mind. This is a series that they don't compete in, so it's not a direct competitor for them. And um, and they know that we're trying to be a good ally to uh, to NASCAR and be an asset to them. And so um, they don't they don't see a big problem with it. So it's uh, very thankful that they're they're like that. They could absolutely tell me they don't want me to do it, and I would not do it. That's right. right? Yeah, that's right. And so. Um, thankful they're allowing us to go up here and have a little fun and <clears throat> checks a lot of boxes so also also gives us an opportunity to people are excited about this they want information about this they want to know how this is going gives us an opportunity to jump into that sort of content creation cycle That's ar- right. around this which is fun we're driving all the way up here it's an hour and 35 minutes to be there less than that or around the same or i mean we're going to do more driving than when we'll be at the racetrack today so we're putting in some effort. That's right, but it's kind of fun. I mean, to be honest with you, when do you get a chance to drive just these other cars? And if you've ever looked at these MX-5s, people listening to the podcast, I mean, <laughs> they look like they're a blast. Yeah. These, uh, like, what do you know about the car that you can tell us? Like, like, how much horsepower do these things have? I don't think they're gonna. Not a whole lot, right? Not, not what you. Yeah, I mean, they they've obviously probably less power. I don't really know exactly how much, but it's a four-cylinder motor. Okay. It's um, which doesn't really mean anything. I mean, you can get a lot of power out of that, but it's going to uh, feel a little bit slower on the straightaways, but probably faster through the corners. Because uh, just looking at some uh, of the comments from the drivers, it's got a lot of grip, and the fact that it doesn't go as fast on the straightaway, you really 
um, can fly through the middle of the corner. You know, so I, you know, just like our Xfinity cars, they're they might go a little slower on a straightaway at some race tracks, but that allows them to fly go faster through the corner. That's right. And that's why they, you know, at a place like Bristol or short tracks, sometimes the Xfinity cars are qualifying faster than the Cup cars because they're a little bit lighter and a little bit quicker in the middle of the corner. But I'm sure it's going to feel fast in the corner and it'll be fun and it'll be interesting to drive a convertible around a racetrack i know right that's the other yeah, thing about these they things don't have roofs. that's right and so driving a convertible around a racetrack <laughs> will be different i don't think i think the only time i've ever raced a convertible was in a match race with jeremy mayfield at charlotte motor speedway i think i was still in the xfinity series Humpy got a couple cars, cut the roofs off of them. <laughs> of course, it, of course, this is a Humpy idea. And it was sort of like a, a, a uh, it was like a appetizer for their legends racing, mm-hmm. uh, their summer series or whatever was going on. And so it was on race, it was on a race weekend, or like a Wednesday pole night or something. I don't know, but me and Mayfield, I think it was Mayfield, did a little match racing on the quarter mile on the front straightaway, banging around. Many people remember that uh, or know that there was a NASCAR convertible series back in the day. Way back in the day. Ralph Earnhardt raced in it a little bit. Um, But it was a, yeah, there's a book, um, one of them blue books on the convertible series. That's right. Yes, sir. I'm pretty uh, excited about this because not so much, you know, the Mazda or the the MX-5, it, the car doesn't. The car's not the big deal to me. I know that. Um, the the car, the car's not the important part of this for me. For me, it's it's something to do with short track racing, right? Which NASCAR, in my mind, could lean into more. Um, I don't know really what the vision is for this. I'm, you know, I know this is a this is an effort of Mike Helton's and Jim France is excited about it. I talked to Jim a little bit um, at Watkins Glen as well, and so I know this is like a, a, a they have an agenda, right, to make see if this is possible to race at Martinsville and other short tracks as well. And so I think that it's I'm I'm all excited about. It anything that nascar wants to do around short tracks what do you mean by is it possible i mean do these things primarily race on road courses what what? this car races on road courses as a companion to the imsa series so wherever imsa goes um wherever you know they they go race the um the imsa series with the prototypes and the uh gt3 or whatever you know all that stuff so the, the MX-5s will run, you know, the day before, or they'll run a couple races. And so, this will, they've never raced on ovals. Yeah, it's, that could be true. Yeah, so th- this is, uh, yeah, we'll see how they do. I wonder how they, I wonder how they get around this thing. Uh, and you said you talked to some people yesterday that were at this test, and you said it's going pretty well. Um, yeah, I watched some videos online, and, okay. and listen to some comments and and um we might could call chad here in a bit oh that'd be fine yeah 
Chad McCombie and see how things are going. What a good dude he is. I mean, I, I, uh, everybody knows Chad is the guy that played you in the movie, but the fact is, is that when you were at Wilkesboro last year and you were doing those interviews yeah. with these other drivers, Chad was one of them. And man, I, I learned so much about him just in that half hour conversation. Um, kind of just a, just a, a true racer, uh, you know, by definition, the truest racer just does it for the love of it, but super good. I mean, like I love watching him race as well, but been at it a while. Um, I don't even know how old he is. I know he's age. He's like a, a, a timeless, like he right, <laughs> right, right. I, when I think about Chad McCombie, I'm yeah. thinking like a, a 20 year old or something. I know. I know that's not how old he, he is. Raced, I mean, he's got a family. Yeah, he raced in the Truck Series years ago. Raced ARCA for Andy Hillenberg. Um, he had a truck ride and actually really had some good races. Came close to winning a few. I remember him running good at several races in mile and a half, like Atlanta and Texas. Um, so his, and I obviously, you know, knowing our connection through the movie, um, as odd as that is, every time I'd see his name, you know, I was curious as to what he was up to. And right. so I've always kind of followed him uh, and what he had going on. And him being a part of the Cars Tour, racing late model stocks and having the chance to get on the track with him a couple times myself has been really neat. Um, just a well-spoken guy, really unassuming. Um, and he races everything. He works hard. And pretty cool guy. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, so we'll see him later. And uh, be good to see Bobby. Always fun to run into Bobby Labonte. Another sort of similar personality, unassuming. Soft-spoken a little Yeah, not, not a guy that does a ton of talking, but funny and always nice. When, why is he there? I mean, what, what's his well, connection Bobby, to all this? Yeah, so Bobby's just quarter, Bobby is sort of just doing this, you know, since he's, you know, retired from full-time cup racing, he's turned into this sort of, I want to do whatever I want to do, do it all kind of thing. Right. He races modifieds uh, in the Smart Tour. He's done that for a couple years, which uh, I wish he raced in the late models with us, but um, we'd love to have him over there. But he uh, he still loves to race. I love you know you, we talk about this and at the back end of all of our shows, just about with all of our retired drivers, is like man, wish you were doing something. Wish you were out there racing something be cool to be able to you know watch you and follow you along and uh so bobby's a perfect example of that getting back to some roots trying some new things um and i think he's just curious you know and he he probably got the same phone call i did and he's like yeah i'll come on up yeah i'm not doing anything i'm bobby the bonnie i'm doing every day i'm on my own schedule that's right Okay, Dale, so now I want to ask you about Martinville because, you know, we're joking about how we used to drive there and it was always tense and whatever. But the fact of the matter is, Martinsville is my favorite racetrack. And really? when I, Yes. Yes. Okay. My favorite racetrack. And I actually have some really good memories of us. So when I think about Martinsville in your terms of your racing career, yes. what is the things that jump out? Uh, in my and, and I know you may say the win. I got it. No, 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 no. But like, like the when you think about Martinsville. Ah, uh, yes. Let's talk about it. The car without the fender. 
That's right. Yeah. Which I think was one of your greatest races ever. That well, people don't give you enough uh, because you, you finished fourth. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand best fourth place finish ever. For we me, were proud. Yeah, we were happy. It was, yeah, that was cool. Um, so there's so go way back to might have been 1983 it's 82 or 83 um i think it was harry Gant's first win um somewhere along the way at martinsville during the race harry gets some contact with his right front and it peels his fender away this is dry he's driving old buick headlight bezel and all that stuff's ripped away and so but he wins a race and he takes this i for Harry again, in my mind, it's an iconic photo but next to the damaged fender with his trophy, right? And it's like, hell yeah, everything about that picture, short track racing, race winning car, got damage, got the trophy, it's Harry freaking Gant, just a cool, cool moment. Yeah. And then you fast forward to when he's trying to win four in a row, Mr. March. October, uh, I believe. Uh, Whatever it is, Mr. October. Yeah, I think it was later in the year. You're right. Um, they had that cambered rear and housing and all kinds of cool stuff with that with that car Andy Petrie had built. Um, some cool front geo he was telling us about in our show. But he ends up getting some damage and rips the whole you know right front corner or the left front corner tears up the race car and ends up winning the race. Now, this car is fast either way because they'd won, you know, they won four races in a row with it. But the, you know, being able to take a car that's missing big, important parts, aerodynamic stuff like fenders and so forth and running well with it is kind of a lost art. It just doesn't, you know, as aero became more and more dependent in our sport, being able to do that at a short track even was tough. And so... You know, I don't, I, I got, I think the very start of the early start, the very first lap of the race or whatever, I think I got a, there was a crash way up in front of us. For some reason, I want to feel like I started it, but that might've been a different year. But, uh, <laughs> either way, there was a big wreck in front of us. Right. Or I do, I tried to dive three wide. I can't remember. Cause anyways, we, we go down in the corner and there's a big crash and everybody kind of, piles in we hammer in there and crash into somebody and somebody runs in the back of us and both right right and left front corners are dinged up and the right front uh fenders tore all the heck and so we come down pit road and they're trying to fix it brake hoses and ducts are getting ripped off by the right front tires i'm pulling out of the pit stall and in that moment Honestly, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I got to drive this tore up thing for 500 laps around here. This is going to be a long damn day. That's right. I'm thinking we're going multiple laps down. I want to say you fell three down at one point. I don't think so. It I, wasn't three? I don't think we ever got lapped. Oh, no, no. You did. No. Yes, you did. No. How did we make them up? Uh, you made them up. I'm, I'm telling no. you, you were, you were lapped down. I don't think so. We'll have to look We'll debate up. that. But um, we... We get out there, we might have lost a lap in the pits fixing the damage, but I think we'd stayed on the lead lap. And so, I just didn't think we had a shot of anything good that day when that happened. We get out there and we're running around 
and we're in the back uh, racing with the back markers, right? And I'm doing everything I can to keep up with them. So I'm running as hard as I can to run 35th. And it, and it's not good. I'm like, yep. And I'm on new tires as is everybody else around me. And I think as, as soon as that, you know, that new tire goes away, we're gonna start fading worse. Our car is gonna start handling worse. As the tires get worn and get hot, we're gonna have more and more problems with our car because of the fender missing and all that. In reality, the opposite happened. The longer we ran, with that right front tire hanging out there, staying cool in the air, allowing, uh, with all of that being pulled away and all that brake temperature and everything being able to dissipate and not be trapped under the hood, our car got better and better and better. And everybody else slowed down. We really just didn't fall off as much. And so on long green flag runs, man, we could drive up through the field. And we should have won the race. But I got underneath Ryan Newman in the middle of the corner. I shouldn't have done that. Ryan's already hard to pass as it is. He's a really annoying son of a gun to pass. And, uh, which is his MO, and he's so super proud of it. But right in the middle of the corner, he kind of gets up the racetrack, and I, sh- I shoved it in there, and he comes back down, and, and I don't have a fender or nothing. I'm, I can't hit him with the tire. You, I was like, I'm going to knock the toe out. We cannot have hard contact with the right front. So I was very aware of that, and I drove my car into the curb and uh, spun myself out. And so we had worked our way, I think, into the top 10 at that point, had to go all the way back to the back. That's right. And then drive ourselves back through the front. It was deflating for sure. Like, yeah, that was, was a tough was moment. Like, oh my God. We got all excited. All the way back. Yep. And then... We got all excited and then I made that, I made that mistake. Um, if I, you know, I don't know. Can't, can't go back and change it, but end up, driving back up toward the front and was sitting right there there was a five car four car battle for the little for the wind nose the freaking tail and we were right in there in the middle of it yeah um which was fun and you're right man i mean there's you always remember the wins you've got the trophies on the wall that remind you of them i've got several trophies in the house that and and at junior motorsports and everywhere you go you see them and you think about that day and um look at a trophy and go where is that from what year is that and then uh you have these other races that you never forget that don't have a physical memory right um don't have a trophy uh but there's only a few of those that you remember because of overcoming adversity or something happening that day something you dealt with or the team dealt with and that's one of our i think that's one of my favorite races i know you you're pretty fond of it love it i love it but you know what i may have got that confused when i said multiple laps down you're right i think it was just multiple incidents like the one that was very early i i remember the one with newman like i can still see that that was so so dejecting but then coming back and i remember the elation i mean Let's, let's let's keep it real here. It wasn't like we were on the car and doing hat dances and things for a fourth place finish. But I remember the media, particularly I remember Jim Utter 
being at the at the car when you got out and he was just like that was something that was that was one of the greatest drives i think i've ever seen and i was still pretty new with you like i, I hadn't been working with you a ton but the first race you go you win the daytona 500 i remember the second week we went to rockingham and you did well you had a top five at rockingham and that's when i realized that you hated rockingham and so finishing the top five there was almost like a win right and so and then so there were these moments that you were just showing of just like just the drivability and the talent and all that stuff was just there and it wasn't always in just wins that was the one that stuck out yeah that's one of my favorite races too the last race at rockingham we ended up with a fifth place finish i think i hated rockingham i should have loved it um but i never had good results there and i never felt comfortable i never felt like the car was doing what i needed it to do except for that last race um i felt like we had a really good race going when kurt spun us out uh and i was racing with dad that's really what made me so angry about that day when kurt wrecked us at rockingham oh that's right your rookie season kurt was driving the 97 car he had just gotten in that car um they are they were between drivers and so he's getting his first couple opportunities and Kurt was good you know he was talented and fast um and he did he ran over me and 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 you know we've all done that I did it I've ran over plenty of people early in my career not knowing to be patient but I'm having a that that particular race I'm racing with dad and I'm you know, we're, I think we're running like somewhere from 7th to 12th all day. Yeah. And uh, I was doing my best to try to just kind of be where, you know, keep up with Dad, keep up with Dad, keep up with Dad. Like finish close enough for ahead of Dad. Anytime I got a chance to be, like have a race where Dad and I were near each other, we hardly ever raced each other that, that 2000 year when I was a rookie. You know, you run 30-some races, and you'd think that you'd race with each other a lot. We hardly ever raced each other that rookie season. Mm -hmm. A couple of races, but not many. Passing here, passing there, but never really no door-to-doors. But that day, I was kind of, we were around each other for a majority of the day, it seemed like. And then Kurt spun us out. And I thought I was going to get a good, happy, you know, I thought I was going to get a good result at Rockingham for the first time that I was happy with, and it didn't happen. But then we went there for that last race, and I, I think we all kind of knew it was the last race. I think the I feel like we did. Yeah, the story was already out about what was happening, where right. we were going, going away from Rockingham. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to drive this car. So Rockingham is worn out, eats tires up. If you run really hard and as hard as the car will go, you're going to be in trouble on the back end of the run. Um, that was kind of part of my problem early in my career is that I always ran as hard as I hard as I could get the car to go and didn't manage my tires and that was a place where you really had to manage them and so for that race that last race I said man I'm just gonna run a good clean pace and straight I'm gonna run straight off the corner I'm never gonna spin the tires I'm never gonna slide the right rear I'm never gonna drive the car in and push the right front I'm gonna run every lap and keep the car directly underneath me and keep it straight off the corner. And man, we just did that all day long, all day long, all day long, and ended up with a pretty good result. So I was pretty happy with that. 
to be able to finally figure kind of finally figure out the puzzle right. for Rocky and him. You know what I remember about uh, that Kurt Busch race where he took you out? Was that not the one where you came? I think you went to the garage, came back out just to annoy him, and rode him. And then that's that's one of the funniest back and forths on the radio. Tony Senior's like, NASCAR says knock it off, and you're like, yeah, I got these radio, I can't understand you. And he goes, I said knock it off, and you said, I said I can't hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to wreck him, man, so bad, but I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't do that. I knew that that would draw, uh, bring more problems. And so I ran right on his bumper. I had really new, I had new tires and he was out there on old tires. We'd just come back on the track. And if I'd come on the track and he wasn't anywhere around, I'd have probably never messed with him. But it just so happened when we'd come out on the track and blended back in the track, there he was. There he was. Like, that yeah. green and yellow car can't miss it. I'm gonna run right up on him. And instead of going by, I'm just gonna stay right on his bumper as much as, is, and worry him as much as I can, but that was funny. All I was right, hoping. Matt, here's another memory from Martinsville that I have. Just these yep. random things. You ready? Yep. Sean Brawley going with us almost every year just to just get to a get bag a full dog. of hot dogs. Yeah, my buddy Sean. Uh, it, that you might have seen him or remember him and Sonny in the nationwide commercials. But Sean and I've been buddies for a long time. And uh, Sean's a drag racer, loves drag racing. He's a Ford guy, loves Fords. And so we've always kind of butted heads about that. Man, you know, Chevy versus Ford and ovals versus drag racing and all that. And uh, boy, but he loves the Martinsville hot dogs and his dad did too. And so um, he, we would go back and forth you know, to the racetrack. We were going to go up and come home Friday, Saturday. And he'd either go with us on Friday or Saturday just to get that bag of dogs. He didn't even care about being at the track. Nope. He didn't want, he didn't care about watching practice or nothing. He just is going to go up there and get 15 hot dogs and come back home. And, uh, man, and, they're good. And by the time that he would get them back home, he'd have a, he'd have a few, but his dad, like, if, his dad would always be out there at the driveway waiting on him. And, and the bag had already been greased through the bottom because those hot dogs are so nasty. I woke up this morning wondering if this thing, this concession stand would be open today. That'd I was be, wondering it too. Golly, I'd, I'd, I'd eat one or two of them. Yeah. So back when uh, we were driving the Bud car, you had Tony Jr., Tony Sr., Kevin Pinnell, Two Beers, and two all beers, those guys. Yeah. And we part, when, when we started parking in that new infield garage, the roof on that garage is really low, right? Oh, so fans right. can see over it onto the back straightaway from the front stretch grandstands. And so literally the beams of the are like right above your head. They're like at, you know, seven and a half foot uh, at their lowest. And so every team did this. You'd start the weekend, get in there on Thursday and unload, get up in the morning on Friday and start going through tech. And that on Friday, everybody would write their names on the beam, and then you would do a mark every hot dog you ate. And it was a competition on every team who ate the most hot dogs. And I'm talking some of these guys were eating in the 30s and 40s over a weekend, like 10, 10 dogs a day. And so uh, I think if you go into there, I think they've painted over those 
those marks, but you can kind of still see them through the paint. Um, I'm gonna look for them. Yeah, you might ought to see if you can find any. That's history right there. <laughs> yeah. But then that kind of just went away. I don't know. People, you know, teams got more, you know, the people that were working on teams got more health conscious. Uh, you know, eating 30 hot dogs, 40 hot dogs on, over a weekend, I guess, wasn't impressing your crew chief, right? Or, or teammate. Certainly, certainly when you yeah. got to Hendrick Motorsports, right. they didn't find it to be near the accomplishment that DEI did. Exactly. I will say, yeah, I'm sure even back then, Hendrick guys weren't keeping count. Uh, they were more likely hiding the numbers. <laughs> but our team, man, we were like, and I'd put my name on there, man. I'd be, I'd be mid-pack. I'd eat about 12 or so over a course of a weekend. God, they were good. That was back when your metabolism was running like crazy and you could just eat anything you wanted. Isn't that the truth? All right, so that was a fun drive to Martinsville, Mike. And uh, I don't, was I, did I annoy the hell out of you? No, you were great. On this drive? Okay, yeah. yeah okay. Where was, where was sure. this in 2004? Sure. <laughs> All right, so we're nowhere near under the same amount of pressure that we were in 2004. Um, but I'm excited to get in this car. So we're here, we're gonna jump in. We're going to take some laps, see what this is all about. Yep, and then I guess our plan would be on the Thursday show, the download. You're going to tell us all about it. All right. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll record as we go drive back. But that's fun. It's been fun having the listeners ride along on a road trip with us. It it's is. kind of new. This is something I like. I think we should do more of. Thanks to NASCAR. Thanks to Chevrolet for allowing us to come up here and do this. And um, don't forget, Becoming Earnhardt comes out tomorrow, Episode 7. And then Thursday, we'll tell you how, how this little test went. I'm expecting it to be a lot of fun, but we'll see. Till next time. <laughs>